All right, we're going to jump into our message today. We're going to jump into our message. Um, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to be in the 49th chapter. The book of Isaiah is one of the, in fact, it is the largest book of prophecy in the Bible. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Um, after Psalms, after Proverbs, after um, all of that, you'll find Isaiah um, right there. It, it, is, it is a rather large book. In fact, it is the largest book of prophecy there. We're going to spend some time in there that, uh, this morning. As we continue to go through our series, um, Identity in Christ. Remember, we are spending the bulk of our year, year at Summit Ridge going through this series, really trying to root our identity in Jesus Christ and why that is so important. So we have been looking at all sorts of identity statements. And, and what is so unique, and I've shared this before, I'll share it again, is that when it comes to unique identity I am statements, there are certain I am statements that are reserved for Jesus. Jesus say, uh, gave I am statements about himself. And then there are I am statements about us, who we are in him. Now, here's the wonderful thing about that, is while there are, and I forget the exact number of I am statements that Jesus had, somewhere around seven, maybe a little bit more, not much more, it's between seven and 11, I'll say that. There are immeasurably more, it seems like, you can measure them, but it seems immeasurably more I am statements about who we are in him. And what is so unique is that as we were planning this series, is that there were not enough Sundays of this year to fit in all of the I am statements that are cited in scripture about who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I encounter something like that, I think the Bible is trying to tell us something. That it's really important for us to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. That our identity is incredibly important. And I think we know this. I think we know this. But by way of reminder, by way of just, just being reaffirmed, is that it is so important who and what we allow to define us. And I don't think there's anything better to allow to define us than the one who created us. Amen? There are a lot of things that I shared before and others have shared in this series that will be out there to define us. To tell us who we are. Or we allow ourselves to be defined by what others or something to define us. And my hope is, is that as we work through this series, and as continue to work through this series, is we'll slowly, hopefully begin to untether ourselves from what others may say about us, and rather tether ourselves to what Jesus says we are in him. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I'd rather be defined by my maker than anyone or anything else, because my maker knows who I am, truly knows who I am, and still loves me. And still loves me. My maker knows who I am and still accepts me. I don't know about you, but I think that is incredibly reassuring. Incredibly reassuring. So today, as we come to our next identity statement, here is the identity statement that we are going to look at today, and it's this. I am not forgotten. I am not forgotten. I, I don't know about you, but I think that there are a lot of fears that we as people have, and you can look at fears. I am told, I don't know how true it is, right? They do all sorts of surveys, that the, one of the biggest fears is public speaking. Is that true? Yes. One of the biggest fears is public speaking. Um, that is not my fear, clearly. That is not my fear. I don't have that fear. 
I have other fears. Trust me, I have other fears out there. Public speaking is not one of them. If, something, if someone threatened me with, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to make you speak, to, you know, speak in public, bring it on. Not gonna, it's not something that I fear, okay? There are other things that I fear. However, out of all the surveys that are feared, and I was looking at recent surveys of what we fear, and I think it's somewhat true. And, and I don't know how they conducted the surveys, but things have changed recently about what we fear. We fear gun violence now. That wasn't a part of surveys in years past as some of the top. We fear medical bills. Uh, not unusual coming out of a pandemic. And really, we're not coming out of it. We're learning to live with it. We're not going to come out of this pandemic. We're going to learn to live with this pandemic, right? medical bills. And it's just a reality that I think whether or not we realize it, every single one of us possibly, and I don't know for sure, but I'm just going to speak generally. Every single one of us possibly are one to two steps away from financial ruin. And oftentimes that financial ruin can come in the form of a medical bill. That is scary. That is absolutely terrifying. But here's the thing. Out of all some of those things that were shared about what we fear, There are some things that I think on the surveys that I don't think pick up on that I think also should be on those lists. For instance, I think maybe if we were given the option, one of the things that we may fear is the fear of being fully known. Everything warts and all about us. I think there may be a fear I don't want to be found out for who I really am. Because if I am, the person or persons that I love may reject me. And so oftentimes, and we even do this in churches, right? We haven't learned, and, and it's really hard to be real. And especially, this is so hard, and I get, I get it, but it's so sad to me. It is even hard for us to be real with ourselves and with each other, even in the context of church, where the one place we ought to be real with each other is in church, because we ought to realize that every single one of us, we are not perfect. And so what we oftentimes do in churches, and that's not just here, but it may be in churches in general, churches I have been to elsewhere, is we put on our Jesus face. Everything is great. How are you today? I'm blessed. How are you today? I'm perfect. How are you today? Ah, Jesus loves me. And we smile when maybe on the inside we're dying because we had a horrible week. But we don't want to share that because maybe people will think less of us or people will think we don't have enough faith or people will think that, well, you are not as put together as I once thought you were put together or any of those things or we might ruin the witness we have for Jesus as though we have to be perfect to share Jesus. Where was that? In the Bible. Oh, no, no, no. I can't have Peter, James, John, and the rest of the disciples share who Jesus is without first being perfect. Have you read the book of Acts? Have you seen how they struggled even after coming to know Jesus, even after the power of the Holy Spirit was set on them, even after they went out? Peter, I mean, I just think of that incident when Peter was eating with his Gentile friends and his Jewish buddies walk in and he gets up immediately because he doesn't want to be found out that he was eating with Gentiles and he goes over and he sits with his Jewish buddies and he kind of shoves his, Jew, his Gentile friends off to the side and Paul sees this and Paul confronts Peter about it. 
even after the Holy Spirit was on them. And so sometimes I think even in churches, and maybe even especially in churches, we put on the Jesus face. I'm great. I'm fine. I'm perfect. I'm well. I'm blessed. Whatever adjective or description you want to put in there, put it in there. When ultimately we ought to be a little bit more real than that. You know what? I had a hard week. You know what? Let me just take this Jesus face off for a moment. And, and you know what we do in response when someone shares a, a problem with the, that they may be struggling with? Sometimes we Jesus frost it. We say, well, you just need a, need a little bit of Jesus on there. Let me just smear a little bit of Jesus. You know what? You just need Jesus in your life. You just need to pray to Jesus and it's going to be great. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is it makes us feel better and the other person feel worse. Well, I did my job today. Put a little Jesus frosting on it. It's all good. Tastes a little bit better. You know what? If a person had a terrible week, dare I say, even just a crappy week, smearing Jesus frosting on it isn't going to make it taste any better at times. Just isn't. It just isn't. So here's the thing, is that being found out, I think, is a real fear. Fully found out because there's a fear we may not be loved. Here is another fear that I think it may be equally fearful. It's not only being found out, but it's also being forgotten. It's also being forgotten, not remembered at all. That is a huge fear, I think, for us. I think that's an enormous fear for many people in this world today. Being forgotten is an incredibly, incredibly huge fear. I, I know it, it maybe even plays with me as well. That's, that's a huge fear for me, is to be forgotten, is to know that I lived on this, wor- on this earth, and when I die, when I'm no longer here, is that there is very little footprint that I was ever here in the first place. Listen to some of these things that some authors have written about being forgotten. One person said this, I'm afraid of being forgotten because it seems everyone I get close to ends up forgetting me. Here's another one. Only the forgotten are truly dead. Only the forgotten are truly dead. Here's the other one. To be forgotten is to die a little. To be forgotten is to die a little. Um, There is even in Christianity, when it comes to the idea of eternal punishment and eternal torment, right? There is a place where God does not exist. There is a place where where God is not there, and that place is hell, okay? That, that, that does exist. And, and no doubt that those who have chosen not to follow Jesus, those who have chosen not to be with Jesus, they will get their desire. Those that have rejected and say, Jesus, I don't want you a part of my life. God honors that request and says, okay, it breaks my heart, but there is a place where that is true, and that place is called hell. Now, here's the thing. There are some theologians that believe that hell is not going to exist for eternal punishment forever. There are some theologians who believe this, some prominent theologians, some well-respected theologians, that they believe that eventually those who are in hell will be annihilated. They will be completely wiped off the face of existence. Why? Because their reasoning is the worst punishment isn't eternal torment, but it's to have existed not at all to be forgotten. That is a worse torment and punishment than the one 
of just being in hell for eternity. That's how powerful sometimes being forgotten can be. Have you ever been left behind? Maybe some friends left you at the store, left you at a park. They forgot about you. They forgot about you. I did that once to my son. He talks about it. He doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember it. He was safe. But I remember leaving um, a house um, and going back to the back home, and Lori met me at the door and said, where's Steve? I thought you had him. No, I don't have him. I told you I was leaving, and make sure you bring Steve with you. And Steve was about three or four, you know. Um, easy to miss. He's, he wasn't the six-foot-tall, strapping young man you see before you today. And so I had to go back and get him. He knew nothing about it until I, we told him years later that, we had, that I had forgotten him. You know, it's the same thing. When my daughter, my first daughter was, was um, a few months old, she rolled off the couch and landed on the carpet. And, and I was there. I saw it happen. You know, you could say that I allowed it to happen. I didn't allow it to happen, but I was freaked out, right? I mean, I picked her up and she was crying, understandably so, and I just handed her to Lori because I... One thing I realized, I can't deal with it when my kids get hurt. I, I kind of freeze up a little bit, especially if my wife's around. I'll, I'll, I'll let her deal with it. She's much more able to do that. If someone else gets hurt, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine with it. It's it, it, just what it is. But to this day, my daughter reminds me, Dad, you dropped me on the floor. I didn't drop you on the floor. <laughs> and you don't even remember it. You were a few months old, you know. But here's the thing. No one wants to be forgotten. No one. Today, I want us to take a look at a passage here in Isaiah 49 because the people of Israel believe they have been forgotten. The people of Israel believe that God has forsaken them, has turned his back on them, and they are crying out in the midst of this that they have been forgotten. And what I want us to see in this passage is that How does God respond to this plea? How does God respond to the people of Israel as they are crying out that they have been forgotten? How does God respond to them? And the way that I think God responds to them, I think hopefully, um, not only I think gave them reassurance, but I hopefully think and hope that it will also give us reassurance. Let me just say this. If you have ever felt you have been forgotten, if you have ever felt that you have been forsaken, if you have ever felt that you are all alone and no one is there, then I hope that today, as we look at this passage, and it's just a few short verses, that we will be reassured that that is not the case. Because as God is speaking these words to the people of Israel, I think these words could be spoken to us today as well. And my hope is is that it will reassure us that we are indeed not forgotten. So let me read these verses out of Isaiah chapter 49, and it's verses 14, 15, and 16. And then I want to go back and share with you a few things that I think God is saying to the people of Israel. And here are the words. But Zion said, the Lord has abandoned me, and the Lord has forgotten me. That is the plea of the people of Israel. At this time that Isaiah is recording these words, the people of Israel, and that is specifically the northern kingdom of Israel. At this point, Israel was a divided kingdom. There was Judah to the south, Israel to the north. Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been sent into exile by the Babylonians. 
at that time it was the Assyrians, it would become the Babylonians, um, and, and so on and so forth. But the people of Judah are going to be eventually going into exile as well. So the cry that you hear here are the cry of the people of Israel who are saying, the Lord has abandoned us and the Lord has forgotten me. I don't think that this is an atypical cry, by the way. I think there are people, Christians, and even people in general who may not know God, who may have cried out similarly and said, I have been abandoned. I have been forgotten. There is no one here. I am all alone. This is the situation. And listen to how God responds to that plea. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. What a beautiful response to the plea that I am forgotten. How does God respond? Well, I think there are three ways that God responds to reassure his people you are not forgotten. And one is this. He reassures them this, that God has never and will never stop loving you. God never stops loving you and me and all of us. He never stops. There is never a point when God says, I don't love you anymore. Even in his judgment, brothers and sisters, hear me on this. Even, and I, we get this sometimes, I, I have received it, maybe you have as well, is if God is so loving, how come he sends people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. God honors the request that the people have chosen. And the most loving thing he can do is to honor that request. The most unloving thing to do is to say, yeah, I know you want to go to hell. Nope, you're going to spend eternity with me. Have you ever been forced to spend time with someone you didn't want to spend time with? How did that go? Right? How did, how did that play out for you? Is there ever been a time that you had to spend time with someone against your will? A person you didn't... You imagine a car ride with a coworker you couldn't get along with and you had to drive to Phoenix or even further and you got to spend three plus hours in the car with them driving up and driving back. You don't want to spend that time with them. But the most loving thing you can do if, I came, if someone came up to you and said is to spend the time with the person. I don't want to spend the time with the person. We throw that logic out when it comes to God. We say, well, God, if, you're most, if you are so loving, you, you ought to you know, just put everybody in heaven. What's loving about that? When there are people who clearly don't want to be there. Even in his judgment, brothers and sisters, God never stops loving it's not as though when he comes to his judgment, he says, okay, I'm done with loving part. Let me put on my judgment part. Here we go. I'm bringing down the hammer. Even in his judgment, he is loving. In all things, God is doing things out of love. It may look like, it, it, it may come out as judgment. It may come out as mercy. It may come out as grace. It may come out as compassion. It may come out as anger. It may come out of jealousy. All of those qualities. But it is under all of those qualities are under the umbrella of love. God never stops loving, ever. Never stops loving us. And that's what he shared with the people of Israel. How did he share it? 
he gave the most unlikely extreme scenario that perhaps one could come up with. And he says this, how much do I love you? Well, think about it this way. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? No. In other words, he says, think of a mother with a child, her child, a nursing child, a child that still has yet to be born, even. A a mother rarely ever forgets her own child. But here's the thing, it can happen. It can happen. It's incredibly unlikely. But it can happen. Here is what is not unlikely and will never happen, is God will never forget us. He will never stop loving us. He will never come to a point and say, what's your name? Who are you? If he asks that question, it's a rhetorical one, by the way. Right? It's a rhetorical one. Jesus asked a lot of rhetorical questions. But nonetheless, he never stops loving us. I love how one person said this. person said it this way. Though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, he loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without compass, God's love encompasses us completely. He loves every one of us, even those who are flawed, rejected, awkward, sorrowful, or even broken. He loves us completely. You know what the problem is sometimes, and it's my problem as well as I think many of us, I don't always accept it. I don't always accept it. Sometimes, you know what I think our worship is sometimes? This is my fault. And my perspective, not not the corporate, but my individual take on worship sometimes, is to get God to say, God, look how much I love you. God, I love you this much. I'm here singing, and I'm here praising you, and I'm here praying to you. Look how much I love you. It ought to be reversed. It ought to be... Look, it ought to be us inside of how much God loves us. Worship ought to be an affirmation that, oh, yes, I am loved by God. I don't have to prove my love to him. Rather, it's just a revealing of his love for me. He never stops loving us. Here's a very interesting, Jesus experienced being forgotten. Did you know that? We know the story. He's on the cross. He is being crucified, and it's one of the few times that Matthew quotes in Aramaic what Jesus said, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Now, there are some really interesting theological interpretations of what was going on at that moment. The most common one that I have been exposed to shares that at that moment, when Jesus is crying out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? That many theologians believe that at that moment, as Jesus was taking on the sin of the world, the Father could not be in the presence of the Son and therefore had to turn his back on his Son and let the Son continue to carry the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders alone. I get that interpretation. I don't agree with it now. Why? For a couple of reasons. One is, at that moment, if that's true, then God has to, or Jesus has to cease to be fully God. How can one turn on himself? How can one turn on himself? That doesn't make sense. That's an existential question. It's a house divided, never stands. Who said that? Oh, that's right, Jesus said that, right? 
How in the world could, I mean, Jesus would have to give up his full divinity in order for that to be true, which Jesus never did. Jesus is fully God and is fully human. No, no, no. What most likely, I think, is in that moment, and, and not only that, the theologians believe that God and sin cannot exist together. Well, that's not true. That's not true. If that were true, why did Jesus come? Because he came to a world that was filled with sin. Yes, he was surrounded by sin, but he never engaged in sin. There's so two very different things. He was sinless, but it wasn't, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't in a world that was full of sin. He could do it. Why? Because he's God. We can't do it. I'm sorry, let me, I can't do it. Maybe you all can. God bless you if you can. I've never seen anyone do it yet, except Jesus. I can't do it, but he can. God and sin can coexist without God ever engaging in sin. And he never does, and he never will, and he never has. So what was going on there? I think what was going on is at that moment, Jesus gave what I think was a fully human response to the agony that he was bearing at the moment he was on the cross feel like i've been forgotten this is horrific this is painful this is awful carrying on the burden of the sin of the world and in that moment he cries out why have you forsaken me why have you left me why have you forgotten me and i think rather than god in that moment saying because you're carrying on the sin of the world and i can't be near you in this moment rather he says son i'm with you i love you i am here you just may not realize it the people of Israel were in exile. They couldn't, they couldn't see. They couldn't even fathom the fact that God was with them. And yet here he reassures them, I have never stopped loving you. I am here. I have never stopped loving you. That's a beautiful thing. And the time we need to hear that stuff is when we are in the tough times. Brothers and sisters, if you are in a situation right now, you have come off in a week that was just not the best week. If you've been going through a season, let's just not even talk a week, let's just talk years. Right? I don't know about you, but we've been through two years of just really tough stuff. Someone said this, and I believe correctly, it has been like 1918, 1929, 1968 all rolled into one these past couple of years. You know what I'm talking about in those events in, human, in, in, in American history? 1918 was the flu pandemic. 1929 was the stock market crash. 1968 was the civil rights movement. And all of the things that happened then. We've experienced all three of those things in the past two years. Do you think we might at times have felt abandoned? Some of you here today have lost loved ones through the pandemic. And you haven't been able to mourn them. Some of you have lost your jobs the pandemic some of you have all of a sudden had a shift in your living situation and it has been incredibly hard and you might feel today my god my god why have you forsaken me i hope the imagery that that god gives here to the people of israel sticks with us as well <laughs> a mother may no matter how minute that possibility may be may forget her own child but i will never forget you i love you i love you here's the second thing Whew. 
That's a good one right there. We can just sit on that one for a while. God never stops thinking about you and me. He never stops thinking about us. Listen to what he says here in this, verse 16. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Oh, that word inscribed right there, that Hebrew word literally means to be etched like a statute or a law. Like, think of the Ten Commandments etched in stone. It's permanent. It does, here's a, here's a, you want a little bit more controversial? A tattoo. <laughs> God has tattoos? I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm not saying that. But you get the idea. Tattoos. How often... Brothers and sisters, do you look at your hands? <laughs> How often do you look at your hands? I don't know about you, but I look at them quite often. I wash my hands. I hope you look at your hands often. Not a rhetorical question, by the way. You can answer it. We wash our hands constantly, I hope. We, look, we work with our hands constantly, I hope. We write, we draw, we hug, we, we touch, we shake hands all of those things, hands are so crucial. And yet I can't help to think that when God is doing things, and it's metaphorical, don't get me wrong, but nonetheless, a very visual thing is that when God looks at his hands, metaphorically, by the way, that he sees our names inscribed on it. Does he need it to remind us, remind him of who we are? No. He does it because he can't get us out of his mind. He thinks about us constantly. Do you know that? He never stops thinking about us. Psalm 139, verses 17 through 18 affirm this. Listen to what these words say. How precious also are your thoughts for me. Not to me, not a, for me, David writes. God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would be outnumber the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. How much does he think about us? More than we could possibly ever think or imagine. It's more numerous than the sand. Wow. That is beautiful. So much so, he has tattooed us on the palm of his hands. That is beautiful. He has never forgotten his people. And by the way, it's not just his people. It's every single person he has ever created billions and billions and billions of people he loves every single one of them and he knows every single one of them he has not forgotten about any one of them he's inscribed them on the palm of his hands your name my name our name names are written on the palm of his hands it's a beautiful thing it's ever before him it's ever before him here's the third one last one God never stops planning a future with you. Last part of this in verse 16 of Isaiah 49 says this. Your walls are continually before me. Interesting phrase. Doesn't mean much to us today, but to them it meant a lot. Because here's the thing, walls for a city were incredibly important. If the walls of a city were torn down, that meant the city was in ruin. That meant the city was vulnerable. That meant the city was unprotected. That meant that the city had been conquered but God says to the people of Israel, your walls are continually before me. What he is saying essentially is, guess what? 
Those walls might be torn down now, but that won't be that way forever. Those walls are going to get rebuilt. Those walls are going to be restored. I am going to protect you. I am going to restore you. I am going to be with you more than you could possibly ever imagine. I am going to bring you back. You will be healed. That's what that phrase means. In other words, it may not look the best right now, but the future is going to come and it's going to be a great future for you because I'm working towards that future, because I am planning for your future with me, because I want you to be with me, because there will come a day and you may not experience it fully right now and hopefully you get glimpses of it and hopefully we do every time, but right now fully, there will come a time when we will be restored fully, that we will be in his presence and we will know fully who we are in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but we I I just, I can't even imagine what that will be like. I I don't even know how we can stand it. It will be that beautiful. It will be that glorious. It will be that powerful. The words of Jeremiah 29, 11, I think, speak to this. They were spoken to Jeremiah, but I think they have relevancy for us as well. He says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You've heard of this one? Plans for prosperity and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In the same way, God has plans for us to give us a future and a hope. He isn't out to destroy us. Ever. That doesn't mean life isn't going to be easy. But it certainly won't end in our destruction if we choose to follow him. Those are the three things God reassures the people of Israel. That he never stops loving them, he never stops thinking about them, and he's never stopped planning a future with them. And what was true for them, I believe, is true for us today. What was true about what he was reassuring them with then is also what he reassures us with today. One of our core covenants that we here at Summit Ridge have entered into with each other is this. To serve one another by following the example of Jesus Christ, ensuring that others are seen, heard, valued, and cared for as deeply valued members of God's church and our God's family and this church. One of the things that we want to work for here at Summit Ridge is the fact that you are not forgotten. We see you. We see you. More importantly, though, God sees you. We know you as much as you allow yourself to be known to us. But more importantly, God knows you even more. And as he loves you, we love you. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are here. You are known and not forgotten. My hope and my prayer is that we will rest with that truth today and if you haven't yet embraced it embrace it try it choose jesus because he has already chosen you amen let's pray jesus i am grateful that when it seems that events of the world and events that are around us may at times communicate to me that i have been forgotten that you have abandoned me Jesus, I pray that the words of Isaiah 49 would ring true. I am grateful, Jesus, that you are with us right now, that the presence that you have brought us through the power and presence of your spirit is here in this place right now. 
And I'm grateful that the prayer never has to be, Jesus, show up, because you are already here, but rather, Jesus, make your presence known, because we may not always see it. Father, I pray that we would be reaffirmed with the words and the truth of Isaiah 49, that you have always loved us, that you're always thinking about us, and that you're always planning a future with us. May we embrace that today. In your name we pray. Amen.